Church. How many of you have been reflecting on the last year and recognizing how much God has done for you? If we think about what he's done, there's nothing else we can do but praise him. Amen. I was so happy when I saw the three children up today. Um, every time people get baptized, I just get full and I get so happy for them because I know that they're walking into what God has ordained for their lives and I'm so excited about that. And the Bible does say, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us to come just as we are. He doesn't want us to try to fix anything, to put any band-aids on anything, to try to act right, to try to think right, to try to do these things right. He just says, come. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Just as you 
my King, come and live forever more. Transition into the radio phase of our program take this opportunity to welcome our KKVV listeners. Today we have another special worship service to share with you and our speaker is none other than our senior pastor Dr. Calvin B. Rock who once more will lead us into today's study to draw, us, draw our attention to Jesus and his word. Before our speaker, Dr. Calvin B. Rock comes to us, we will have another rendition, song of meditation by Sister Christina Sanford. After which you will hear the voice of our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. If you'd like to have a copy of this program, you may call us at 702 6472627 or you may watch a rebroadcast on the internet at www.abundantlifelv.org
Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. say amen. amen. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word and song, for the reminder of thy great faithfulness. And as we open the word now to study about that great faithful God, thou the God we serve, open our hearts and minds to be recipient and obedient students. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 is the scripture that has focused our attention for the last seven times, including today, that we have had a regular church service. That is a service without a guest speaker or a special Sabbath. And uh, this scripture involves the nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit. You remember, Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 
22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and by the way, how many of you can say it with me? Anybody remember all nine as yet? You did? Some of you? All right, let's read them then, and we're going to try to memorize them before it's over. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now today we're on number seven, faith. We've taken the first six. And as again I say, I hope we can memorize these. We've got just two more Sabbaths on them and I'll have something special for everybody who puts them to memory. We're, we're, we're going to do that. But today we're on number seven in the last triad. The first three have to do with our relationship to others or ourselves. The next are three, long-suffering and gentleness and goodness, our relationship to others. And here we're talking in the last three of the triad about our goodness or our principles of righteousness that pertain to longevity and happiness and whereas the first three to review deal with God and uh, the second three with others, these three with our own individual happiness and prosperity and the first of the last triad has to do with faith. Now the Greek word here, faith, is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And as you know, the Bible was not written in English, and sometimes when they translated from the Greek to the English back there in the early part of the 1600s, they used words that have slightly different meanings today. Uh, we, we, we think a little differently 400 years later. And so we have to make it known that the King James rendering of the word pistis to faith in this scripture is not really accurate. It's not the most accurate. The most accurate translation of this word that Paul used, pistis, the Greek word, is faithfulness. Now the King James translator said faith and that's no sin. But the most accurate rendition is faithfulness. God is saying that the fruit of the Spirit, that which has to do not with our relationship to him or relationship to others, the middle three, but our own individual growth and prosperity spiritually, number seven and the first of the last three is dependability, faithfulness, trustworthiness, stability, firmness, or reliability, the fruit of the Spirit, this one flower, this one fruit that has nine different parts includes the element of dependability or faithfulness. Now from the outset, let me say that faithfulness doesn't mean that we are absolutely perfect, we sinners saved by grace. It doesn't mean that you and I never make a mistake. It doesn't mean that you and I don't sometimes need forgiveness from God and forgiveness from each other. Our children, our spouses, our workmates, our neighbors, our parents. But it does mean this faithfulness that we are firmly determined and dedicated to follow God all the way. It means that we don't quit in this Christian journey. It means that we may fall or stumble, but by God's grace, we're going to get up and fight again. This faithfulness is exactly what Paul had in mind in an early scripture when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and he said, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man or a woman be found faithful. 
This faithfulness of stewardship is what Jesus had in mind in the book of Luke, chapter 16, in verses 1 and 2, where he said to his disciples, there was a rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of your stewardship, for thou mayest no longer thou mayest be no longer steward. Fortunately, this steward confessed and repented so that the master said to him, finally, in verse 9, and I say to you, make to yourselves friends of mammon and of unrighteousness that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in what? In much. He that is unjust in the least is also unjust also in much. Now, if we were to think of the modern counterpart for stewards in biblical use, they would be overseers or managers. In our economy today, 2,000 years later, we don't talk much about stewards unless we're on a cruise somewhere and they have stewards and so forth. But around town in Vegas, we don't think much about stewards except in some rare occasions. But if we were to try to quantify or parallel in our day, a steward would be a manager, a person who runs the shop the manager of the housing unit or the used car lot or the bank down the corner or Vons or Albertsons or Smiths or Foods for Less or if you like, I like to do it, the 99 cent store. <laughs> you have managers, you have managers. These people don't own anything. They don't own anything, but they take care of the business for the board for the owners, for those who, who have bought it and own it. And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, or perhaps the end of the month, or maybe the end of the quarter, certainly by the end of the year, the manager, the steward, must give an account. The steward must open the books. The steward must present an inventory. The steward must have a profit and loss statement. The steward must show what he or she has done with the owner's goods. The point here, brothers and sisters, is that we are all stewards. We are all stewards. God has given each of us talents, abilities of time and opportunity and we must all at the end of life, at the end of the day, in the great judgment, give an account unto God as to what he has done or what we have done with what he has given. And he demands that we will be faithful. Now, we don't all have the same gifts. Our gifts vary. We have different ways of performing for God. We have different measurements of time on earth. We don't all have the same time. I spent Christmas with my 96-year-old mother. I took her to the doctor the day before. And to make a long story short, he told her she doesn't have much time. And it's kind of hard to sit there and listen to the doctor deal with that. And I saw my mother bow her head and say, Lord, have mercy, when the doctor gave her the bad news. But I told her later on, I said, you know what? If when you and I were born, the Lord said, you, I will let you die at 96 or beyond. We don't know how long exactly. Or you can take a chance and die with whatever may happen in between. I think we'd all say, give me 96. Yes. But we don't all have the same amount of time. 
But whatever the amount is, God says you must make the most of what I have given you. And he will judge us in this faithfulness principle. He will judge us not by how big a name we have or how much money we have or our lives in comparison to somebody else's. But his only question is going to be, were you faithful? Were you faithful? Did you stick to your task? Did you follow the orders that the master left? Did you cultivate your gifts to the highest possibility? Or did you waste your talent and your time and the, the great beckoning of, of service to others, for others that God has provided? Were you faithful? And when Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. He's saying that number seven, God demands that we be faithful. And what a wonderful way to begin the new year to think about 2009. To take inventory as to what has happened in this year and by God's grace decide to do even better and all of us can. And we must be faithful in two specific areas. First of all, in what I call the area of our own private or secular concern. God said in Exodus 20, verse 9, six days shalt thou do what? And do what? All whose work? All whose work? Thy work. God says, I gave you six days to do your business. Take care of your job. Take care of your education. Take care of your family. Take care of your marriage. Take care of your body, your business. God says, I'm giving you six days to do your work, your work. Now, God's involved, but he says, that's, that's, that's on your watch. It's your time. I'm giving you that. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And then he comes right back in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, and says, whatsoever thy hands find to do, do it like you want to. Is that what it says? Do it with what? All your might. I'm giving it to you, God says. Now, you must do it with all your might. That means we have to be faithful in our secular pursuits. On the job, we have to be faithful. We punch the clock faithfully. Not like the man that went to work at 12, took an hour off for lunch and quit at one. <laughs> Some people cheat on the job and they don't realize that you are involved in a contract and you and I are expected in our secular affairs to be truthful, to be faithful. In our marriage, we have a contract. Shall I continue? We're supposed to be faithful. We're supposed to be faithful. Men, there's no need in looking around. You said I do. No need in comparing her as she gets older, gains a little weight, or loses a little weight, and you get slower, and your tendons tighten up, and you can't walk and run like you used to. No need. You said, death do us part. God wants us to be faithful. Faithful in the way we pay our bills, faithful in the way we conduct the least of our business because as we have read his promises, those who are faithful in least will be given the joys of supervising in much. But it's not only in our secular affairs that God expects us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful in his sacred endeavors. And by that I mean in the organized work of the church, the body of Christ. We're faithful in what God gives us that we run. And we must be faithful in what he has ordained as his special people. And that faithfulness has to include 
in fact, I would dare say, should begin with faithfulness in our system of belief. Faithful in what we believe. We are enjoined in Holy Scripture. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast and unmovable. Unmovable in our belief in the word of God. We are unmovable in our belief in Jesus as the hero of scripture. And we should not be moved with regard to the distinctions, to the distinctive doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist church. You see, when you become a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church, you subscribe to all those things that are written on the back of your bulletin. Have you studied the back of your bulletin lately? Yeah. You want to look at the back of that bulletin and make sure that, that you're up to date on all the distinctive truths. They're all right there. Thank you. On the back of the bulletin, the unconscious state of the dead, the Sabbath, the judgment, the resurrection, the Ten Commandments, baptism by immersion, all of the distinctive doctrines of the church, you and I must be immovable, unmoved. We must hold fast to that which has been delivered and understand that those doctrines make us distinctive. It doesn't make us any better than anybody else, but the Seventh-day Adventist Church has distinctive doctrines. We must understand them and live by them. And we cannot say, I'm sorry, I didn't come to church today because I had to go to work. That's loss of faith in the fundamental distinctives of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our faith system and belief must be held fast. And we must, in our sacred obligation, we must also be faithful in attendance. Let me read it to you. Oh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We must be faithful for the word of God reads, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God expects us to be faithful in church attendance in 2009. It isn't because the church won't go on without you. The church goes on better with you. But even without you or me, the church will go on. It's been here since for 2,000 years. It'll go on the church of God. And this congregation can go on without you and without me. But when you come, God uses you to do something for his people and his people can do something for you. And that's what Jesus had in mind in the book of Matthew chapter 16 and the book of Matthew chapter 18. Let me read first of all the second text, Matthew chapter 18. Beginning at verse 18, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, speaking to his church, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. And verse 20, For where two or what? Are what? How? There I am where? Now, folk, that's a promise from God. The church is not just another club. Church isn't Pastor Lewar's club, Pastor O'Bannon's club, my club. The church is God's organization. He established it. There is something divine about this, about this about this collection of people just as divine as it was for the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Corinthians and the folk back in Paul's day. This is God's 
church and he is the organizer and he is the principal. He is the guiding force and he says this church is established upon the rock Christ Jesus, Matthew 18, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And every time you and I come into that door, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And you're not stepping into your work. You're stepping into the atmosphere of God's work. It is God's program. And we should be faithful in attendance. Some folks say, well, I can get along without going to church. Yes, but it's like a coal removed from the fire. When you take a coal away from the fire bed and set it apart by itself, what's going to happen? It's going to go out. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians. They start missing Sabbath school. Then they start missing church. And then they come once a month. And then like some folk last Sabbath, they come once a year. Then after that, they don't come at all. And the fire goes out. We must be faithful for our good. There is something mystical about this association. There's an unseen power in this room. There is a divine presence. God is here and we should be faithful in our attendance. But there's a third piece to this faithfulness in the sacred realm. We must be faithful in our service. I like what the book of Luke has to say in this regard and this is another one of Christ's samples or parables whereby he tries to to get something very important across to his people for here he reminds us that we will be we must be faithful until he comes. I read verse 41, Luke chapter 12. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable of the stewards and the servants, or unto us, or even to all? Are you talking to everybody or just to us disciples? The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Jesus says, Look, who is the wise manager? Who is the wise and faithful manager? And look at verse 43, and I love this. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find what? Shall find so doing. God says, blessed is the servant who, when I come, will find doing, not stewing, not running, but blessed is that steward or servant whom the Lord will find. Now, 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 you know what? Some folks say, well, I've got time. The Lord isn't here yet, and, and I, we haven't hit the time of trouble. So as soon as the time of trouble comes, that's my signal to get right. Don't wait for that. Because he might find you doing not only by virtue of his return in the clouds. He's going to find folk doing when he comes back visibly. But you know what? He can find you doing when he comes to your name in the judgment. And we don't know when that is. That could be today, tomorrow. Thank God we still love him. We're trying to do right. So that means he hasn't come to our names yet. If we had been rejected, we wouldn't even want to be here. So he's still working with us. And the other thing is he could come to our name in death. Anytime. The old preachers used to say there are long graves and short graves everywhere I go. None of us has any, any promise from God of longevity beyond where we are. And we want him to find us on his book. So when we close our eyes in death or when he comes, we want him to find us doing, giving an account of our talents, our natural talents of what we use in our jobs and in our communities, our spiritual gifts are what we use in the house of God. And everybody who's been converted has been given a gift. When you were converted, God gave you a gift you didn't have before. 
He sharpened the gifts you already had, your talents you already had, and turned those natural talents into spiritual gifts. But in addition to that, just as when the disciples were converted and the Holy Spirit came, they had gifts they hadn't had before. So everybody who is baptized and converted, God has given a gift, and we should know what that gift is and use it in his cause and be faithful. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? The Holy Spirit will tell you if you ask. And more than that, if you hang around, the church will tell you. You know what I like about the church? One of the things I like about the church is you can't fool the church. You, 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 you might get by for a while with a facade or fake. But you keep hanging around and there are enough people in the church with spiritual discernment, they'll smoke you out. Folk know when you're phony. Folk know when you're sincere. Folk know when you're happy. Folk know when you're optimistic and cooperative. People know. And people know your gifts. Hang around long enough and we can tell you there is something called groupthink. And the groupthink will coalesce around you and tell you exactly what your gifts are. And praise God, we all have different gifts and we bring them together for the edification of the church and we bring them together and the nominating committee meets and the board meets and we pray and we fast and suggestions are made and you are asked to participate and God says, I've given you those gifts and I've given you this opportunity. Now go and help build up my work and be faithful. Amen. Be faithful. Now in a practical sense, what does that mean? First of all, it means be organized. It means be punctual. All of you, and I want to talk to leaders particularly now about being faithful. All of you who have been asked to serve as the head of anything, ushers, deacons, choir, deaconesses, Sabbath school, community service, youth work, and whatever it is, be organized as a leader. Think about what you're going to do and be punctual. If nobody's at the meeting on time but you, go ahead and start it. Amen. Start your meetings on time, leaders. If you wait for people, they'll have you waiting all 24 months of your tenure. You'll be waiting, you'll be saying, keep Jesus on your mind in 2009 and you can sit down and have a little song service by yourself because the saints if they see you aren't punctual, they won't be punctual. Be organized, and that includes being punctual, and it includes being in touch with your people. It includes being an example for your lead, you who are leaders for your people. Be an example. I want to challenge every leader who has been elected through our nominating process and those of you who are on the way to being elected by next Sabbath. You heard the first reading today. I want to challenge you to be an example. Be an example in optimism. Be, be, be cheerful and joyful. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And if you're not optimistic, your people will not be. Be an example in dress. Be an example in your dress. I don't like to get into some of this because it's not the easiest thing to talk about. But be an example. You're, you're, what you have on the day is not a uniform you wear on Sabbath and you go on Monday and put something else on. You all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Be an example. We shouldn't run into you down in the store somewhere and you look like, we say, well, who is that? <laughs> you know? Be an example. Brethren, be an example in your conduct. We had a family series this, this summer in May and June and July, and some of the single women were telling me that some of the brothers get out of place. I said, I don't believe it. They looked at me over their glasses and said, you better believe it. But, you know, it's hard for me to believe that we have men in the church, married men, Get out of place. Be an example. Hold on to yourself. Control yourself. 
love your own wife like you should and you won't have time to look at somebody else. All right? And sisters, be an example. I don't like to talk about it, but when you come to church, how can I say this delicately? Cover up up here. Huh? Don't be peeking down you. You cover up. And what's so bad is some of the largest ones, well, I don't want to get it to that. Be an example. This is a Christian body. And you ought to dress like Christian women. And please stop putting on these tight clothes and coming all the way down front. If you're going to put them on, sit in the back. Be an example. God expects you, and it's not just the deaconesses. You know, some folks say, well, the deaconesses, they're the ones that look like you know, that one looks holy. Everybody should look holy. <laughs> All of us. And mothers, you are guilty if you don't see that your little girls come to church looking right. I blame you, mama. Your child should never get out of the house looking like some of these young ladies do sometimes. We must be an example. And Satan will try to discourage you, whoever you are in your leadership, I warn you, he will criticize you, superintendents. Sister, <laughs> Sister Boyd, I heard your beautiful speech this morning, but you wait till they get through with you before the year is over. <laughs> You'll be discouraged, and the program won't move as fast as you want it to. Another thing that's going to happen, some unhappy people are going to come and try to discourage you. You know what I found out? <laughs> A lot of unhappiness is because people listen to other people who are unhappy. What you ought to say is, get thee behind me, Satan. And don't let folk fill you with a whole lot of junk. Fill your mind with all kinds of suspicions and doubts and, and get you discouraged. It'll happen. You'll be like the policeman that was trying to rescue the suicide. She was about to jump off the bridge and she started telling the policeman all her problems. And she kept talking and he kept listening and they both jumped off the bridge. <laughs> You can't sit around and listen to everybody's junk. If you're going to be a leader and be faithful, say, get thee behind me, Satan. If you're going to be happy and optimistic and faithful in your church responsibility, you cannot let others call you up and tell you all kind of rumors and stuff. You all mind my being frank? This is the last Sabbath. As you take on your job, I want to inform you that the only way to be in there and to have staying power is to stay focused on your mission. Remember Nehemiah? Oh, I wish I had time. I don't have time. But Nehemiah was working on those walls. Go home and read it, Nehemiah 6 and Nehemiah 4. And Nehemiah was back there trying to build the walls for God's people. They had been prisoners, and now they're back home in Jerusalem trying to build the walls. And Sanballat and his buddies were trying to get Nehemiah to stop. And Nehemiah said, I'm doing a good work, and I what? Can't come down. Thank you. And the walls were finished because the people had a mind to work. Let's not let the devil get in amongst us. We have a mission to the world, a mission to Las Vegas, and a mission to this church, to each other, and most of all, a mission to the young people and children of this church. That's the main mission we have as a Christian education that we need to provide. And in addition to that, taking care of our children and seeing to it that they don't grow up to get to be high school and above and leave the church like so many hundreds of dozens have and we don't see them anymore or we only see them on Christmas. 
We have a job. That's our mission. Let's not let the devil get us off track. Let's stick with our mission. What do you say, brothers and sisters? Amen. The Bible gives us many examples of people just like us who were sinners saved by grace that the devil tried to discourage, but he couldn't. And I'd like to be like one of them or all of them. As far as that's concerned, the Bible gives us the example of Moses says he was faithful. He was a leader and he had a lot of guff to go through but and he at times got discouraged but he was faithful. And there is Abraham who is called faithful and we are children of the father of the Timothy was faithful and Onesimus the slave and Philemon was faithful and Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the Corinthians and the Colossians he said you all are faithful doesn't mean they were perfect but in addition to these human beings the whole heavenly host is faithful the angels are faithful Psalm 103 20 said they follow and obey faithfully the will of God the Holy Ghost is faithful he makes our prayers Two takes our prayers to the throne of God and he takes them with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Holy Ghost is faithful in wooing and instructing and leading and preserving us. And God the Father is faithful. He's so faithful that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what everybody? Everlasting life. And he is faithful and just. 1 John 1, 9, to forgive us our sins. And we can get up when we make mistakes and move on again. Somebody said to Mr. Moody, the great preacher, I don't want to join your church. And Moody said, why? To the, to, to the young man. And the young man told the great evangelist, I don't want to join your church because I'm looking for a perfect church. And Mr. Moody said, when you find it, don't you join it. Because it won't be perfect anymore. None of us is perfect. We all err. We all make mistakes. But my God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God is faithful. But most of all, Jesus the Son is faithful. He's faithful because he came to Bethlehem and fulfilled the promise he made before the worlds began. He made a pledge that he would come and save us and he came, Ellen White says, in a process mysterious and painful. He was born of Mary's womb in a date that we commemorate here lately. Jesus was faithful to his pledge. He could have turned back and he was faithful all during his life. He was faithful from age 12 when he saw the priest kill the lamb until he went into the wilderness 28 years later at age 30. In those silent years, he was faithfully storing up the promises of God's word, getting himself ready. And when he went out into his ministry, he remained faithful to the cross. He said of himself, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He was faithful. He was faithful in Gethsemane. When alone he pressed upon the ground with the weight of the world upon his shoulders. Satan had invited him in the wilderness to give up the struggle. And he said, look, you don't have to go through everything that's ahead of you. Just bow down and worship me and, 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 and I will give you all of this. But Jesus was faithful and now in Gethsemane, bowed down with the weight of the sins of the world. He sweat as it were great drops of blood and he could have used some help now. But he had to tread the wine press alone. Separated from humanity and separated from God, he longed for relief, but he was faithful. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that he could not see beyond the grave. Jesus could not see beyond the grave. He was just relying in faith upon his father's faithfulness and he went to his death not really knowing, only by faith, hoping and trusting, but he was faithful. The prophets looked down the stream of time and said so much. Moses declared him to be a faithful creator. David said he's the Lord of hosts whose faithfulness surround him. Jeremiah looked and said, great is thy faithfulness. 
Hosea said, Ephraim is lied, Israel is deceived, but the Holy One is faithful. Paul weighed in and said, he is faithful who has called us, who has saved us, who has established us. Peter said, he is a faithful refuge. David says, he's faithful who afflicts us. Hebrew says, he's a faithful high priest, and he ever liveth to make intercession. And John the Revelator looked into heaven and said, I concur. He is a faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. And he said he saw him coming on a cloud and he was surrounded, Revelation 17, 14. The lamb making war with the beast, the dragon, was surrounded with those who were called and chosen and faithful. John said early in his book, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. And so today I'm calling for the faithful. The question is, who then will be faithful? Who then will resist the temptation to cave in, or bail out, or jump off, or roll over? Who then will say, no matter what comes to me in 2009, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to stay out of houses where I don't belong. I'm going to stay away from shows that, I, where I, that, where, that aren't good for me. I'm going to stay away from people that are dragging me down. I'm going to stick my head in the Word of God and read and study every day. And by the way, that's where you get your strength. The strength comes from the book. You can make all the resolutions you want, but only as you study the Word of God will you have the power to be faithful. It is in the Word and on your knees in prayer like we're going to do out here Wednesday night and next Sabbath in our special prayer meeting. We want to begin the year steeped in spiritual power. God says, if you do that and you keep your eyes on Jesus, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, not on anybody else, but keep your eyes on Jesus, you will get power. I was, I was, I was amazed. You know, we have two good choir leaders here. Sister Brown is a marvelous choir leader. Pastor Bannon, he's a wonderful choir leader. But you know what? All they can do is wave their hands and beat the time. They can't give the singers any power. They, 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 they can't give anybody power to sing. God does that. The difference between all the rest of us leaders and Jesus is that he gives us power. And when we look to him and keep our eyes on him, he will direct us. He will lead us. He is our example. And you can last, Mr. Sabbath School teacher. You can last brother community service leader you can last mrs youth ay leader you can last sister usher head you can last brother treasure whoever you are you can last all year because you get power from the word the spiritual vitamins that give you strength to go on my question is first of all for you who've been newly elected your names have been read we've had 43 departments and 110 names read, 110 people who are serving beginning January 1, this coming week. I wonder, I'm talking to you first, how many of you wish to stand with me today and say, I love this Jesus so much that I want him to take all of my gifts and I want to be faithful. Would you like to stand, you leaders, stand with me in such a dedication? In fact, I want to do more than that. Come on up front here and come near closer. Would you come a little closer? All of you, Sabbath school secretaries, ushers, choir members, whoever you are, if you're a part of the church leadership, let, let us pray for you today and let us dedicate ourselves to faithfulness in the months ahead. Let us dedicate ourselves to keeping our eyes on Jesus and not on human beings, not on being discouraged. People may not cooperate like we think they should, the program may not move as fast as we want it, but you're going to be faithful. You're not going to let the line break where you fall. Would you come and join us if you're an elected leader? 
I invite you now to the pulpit as we pray. But before we do that, you may not be an elected leader, but you're a member. Or maybe you're not even a member of Abundant Life, but you're a Christian. And you want to be faithful. Would you like to stand where you are, young and old, whoever you are, and say, yes, that's my desire. I want to be faithful till he shall come a call. Father in heaven, will your people stand in your presence, admitting that we are insufficient for the task ahead. Please, Lord, direct our thoughts to Jesus. Keep our eyes trained on the cross and help us all to be faithful. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let all the people say, Amen. Now sing with me as you go home. I am on the battle. We are dismissed. We are dismissed. Let us leave reminding ourselves that we're going to be faithful. And let's make this our pledge. <laughs>